Rockstar Podcast, episode 152. We sit down with Jenna Gaudio from the company Vidya. Vidya is a company that manages content and digital rights for hip-hop artists, DJs, and other creatives. We talked to Jenna also about her journeys to Vidya, a recent health scare that she's overcoming, and much more. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Rockstar Podcast, episode 152, 152. We all have hair. I don't. <laughs> Aggie. Hey, how's it going? You're doing better than yesterday. Yeah, I was a little bit sleepy, but I'm awake now. I've had a lot of caffeine. That's We're in good. good shape. She was noticeably sleepy yesterday. Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, I just was tired, but I'm good now. I, I'm tired yeah. of making fun of Mariano so much, so once in a while... I'll I know, you got to <laughs> do a dig. How are you doing, Mariano? I'm doing okay. I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling a little sick today, but... Uh, oh. Hopefully it will not last long. Well, I hate summer colds. Unlike our partner here, I, I couldn't tell by looking at you that you felt under the weather. <laughs> Good. <I'm laughs> do I just always look like I'm under well, the weather? Dig. How do you feel, Lorenzo? Oh, Mariano. Episode 152. You finally you know, asked me you how to do it. But if you, if you look at the history of these episodes, you've said that multiple times, and I've asked multiple times. So Yeah, but you haven't asked. It's a little sensitive right now. But I've asked 151 times, <laughs> and you've asked five. Wait. Really, hundred. We're like the golden you know, girls now. He's gonna go back and like t- do a tally now, just to, <laughs> to prove you wrong. Well, not me. I know. Oh, okay. Who's Maud? Oh. Oh, Maud. Maud. I loved Maud. <laughs> Jenna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. You're by the welcome. way, welcome, Jenna Gaudio. Yeah. Yes, because the first time I had Jenna on another podcast, and I think I asked her how to say her name. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, you are with a company called Vidya. I am. You are. And we are in Bell Works, right? And this is the second time Jenna's now been on podcast with me, so she'll endure me now for two hours, <laughs> which is mo- more than most people need in a lifetime. <laughs> so good for you. And you're not getting paid for it, which is fantastic, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you are. Um, Vidya, uh, well, where'd you grow up? Let's go the other way. I'm a townie. I grew up in Ocean Township, and then I went to college at Monmouth University, nice. uh, and now I live in Ocean Grove, which is all pretty much the same zip code. So Yet you travel everywhere. I do like to travel. I always tell people I'm like a, a well-traveled, cultured townie. Um, okay. And I think I can stand behind that because you know if you go to all these places and they have so much culture and there's all these things that make different places magical and help you grow as a person, but I love that I get to come back and be like, you know what? Here's still a good place to have roots and come home to. That's good. Mama's cooking. Sometimes it's good too. I don't know for me. I <laughs> I, I, tra- I went from Italy to North Jersey, and then I went like an hour down here, and I'm thinking, well, you know, it'll be different, but the same. Everybody scratches their lottery tickets off at the counter here in Mama's <laughs> County. Oh, is that a thing? Well, it's a thing that I've noticed. Huh? It takes them a long time to get home. That's why. Yeah, I know. It does, especially <laughs> especially in the summer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. The ben- well, now I'm anti Benny or. Non-Benny. Right? Bennies? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I've been here 12 years, so I think I've lost my Oh, Benny. so you're originally a Benny? Yeah. Oh, we're going to end this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 152. Uh, uh, yes, yes, I am. Well, how, so, so what's, the, what's the threshold? I'm trying to figure out. I don't know. I got a card in the mail. I'm assuming that I'm not a Benny anymore. Either. It actually stands for something. You can't hold me to it, but it, it's like... Uh, yes. oh. Bronx, maybe, is the first one. It's like three different sections. New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, there's, I don't know what E is. Englewood? Maybe. Let's go with Englewood. Sounds right. Sure. But Sounds it's good. like, yeah, it's all, all like the, the boroughs or whatever that you, that makes you a Benny. Benny, oh. yes. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, what'd you study at Mammoth? 
I studied communication, um, TV, film. I was a screen studies minor. And you were going to be what? Oh, uh, well, uh, actually, <laughs> before I actually defined my, my major, I was um, a theater major and acting was my first class that I took. Um, but I also took a class. I was like looking at a poster at Monmouth University and it said media and the arts. And it was like a very uh, advanced senior class. And I was just staring at this poster and the professor, you know, came up behind me and goes, do you want to take that class? And I was like, I want to, but it's a senior class and I'm a freshman. <laughs> just got here, you know, and he's yeah. like, you really want to take this class? I was like, I really want to take this class. And um, he let me into the class. I sat in the front row. The seniors threw paper at me the whole time. And I was just like this overeager freshman with this, all these seniors. And um, he was a- You were that person. I was that, that absolutely. Okay. She was Hermione. I, absolutely, yes. I was. <laughs> and um, that kind of changed everything for me because he was just such an inspiring, you know, real life uh, professor that had worked at like Disney and, you know, was a writer and- like was amazing with media and I realized that like you know actresses get to play a role but mostly they're like being told what to do they're not the ones telling the story they're not the ones taking all these pieces and perspectives to you know tell this impactful piece of entertainment or education that makes people feel something or escape something um, and I think like media was like the biggest thing for me and the technology and then uh, connecting with people in that industry made me realize that like you know being the talent isn't exactly as appealing as you know being able to be the storyteller. I know what you mean. Being I, was gonna, I felt always... like you might understand. <laughs> Thank you, Jenna. She knows. <laughs> she knows. Um, you said something about uh, how women were portrayed or were told what to do. Yeah. One of the first uh, directors that I remember was Penny Marshall, who was Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. She was one of the first visual people that you saw mainstream that I remember as a director and seemed to have taken charge. And I think that was probably... She did... Uh, leg- uh, Big... The, didn't she do big? No. Uh, well, she may have. The one with uh, all of the ladies Le- in the League softball. League of Their Own. League yeah. of Their Own. And it was baseball. That, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, baseball, right. But that was like one of the most prominent times I said. And until I, I remember seeing that, you never think of it. Mm-hmm. At least definitely not as a guy necessarily and not someone who's in film. Um, as it was portrayed because you said they were told to do or certain ways or stereotypes. Um, so it's interesting now that it's just a free-for-all for anybody. Everybody can be good and everybody can screw it up. Yeah. But we're getting there. We're getting there, little by little. But I think visibility is important to everybody. I think there are many groups of people that would agree that, you know, we're moving in the right direction. But there's still a long way to go there. Did you uh, party at Monmouth? (laughs) I I think I went to maybe exactly one party. Um, But, yeah, I know I had a lot of different roommates because I, you know, was there over the years and, and moved around Uh, a lot on campus and uh, I feel like I was always with people that were enjoying the college life they'd always try and drag me out and I'd always be like I have to study I have to study Um, but I like wanted to be because you're only at college for four years Mm -hmm. you know and I I love my friends and I get to hang out with my friends but I felt like you're not going to be able to have all these clubs and all these professors around. I used to follow my professors back to their office after every single oh, class. Oh, you really were oh, that student. Oh, I was absolutely that student. And, That's wonderful. You know, I would pop into as many clubs. I like tried. You know, I wrote for the newspaper. I worked for the tech um, department. I like managed the Apple uh, lab when they had an Apple lab. Obviously, yeah. that eventually um, got shut down because I wasn't there to help people understand how to use them. I guess it didn't really catch on fully for a while. I think the. Um, like the art department still has them now, but I just you you're only there on campus for four years, and it, like when you have that kind of time constraint, it it follows that feeling of like you need to live like for what you have in front of you today kind mm-hmm. of thing. Because 
you know, it's philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you probably, did you have that philosophy back then or is this uh I absolutely did. I think I'm always one of those people that feel the intensity of the moment. I think anybody that knows me and has spent some time with me knows that I am like that. Uh, and you know, I just think it's important to, to value and have, you know, gratitude for what you have going around you. Um, so that you don't have regrets. I try to have no regrets on anything and that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. How do you do that? I think you like, you know, there's the saying that say, you know, what you want to say and, you know, don't regret what you didn't say or in the same thing with the things you want to do. Um, I think it's important that if you're drawn to something that you pursue it. Um, and you know, always find out where that leads you because mm -hmm. the alternative is just sitting at home or, you know, wondering what have happened in your past. You know, I'm, you know, in my thirties now and there's a lot of life I've lived and I can turn back and I can still identify what headspace I was in when I made those decisions and how it got me to where I am now. And that helps with my, um, trusting my own instincts of like where I want to go and continuing to make decisions that make sense. Um, which has really, I think helped me, you know, become who I am. Yeah. Well, when that's really inspiring. When you brought up, um, the intensity part of it, mm -hmm. that's got to have a lot of layers to it. Oh, like, sure. Because I see this through my wife, right? She can be pretty intense at work. And yeah. The way it's portrayed as a female, uh -huh. the way it's portrayed as whether you're early on in the your business or not, um, you've obviously noticed that for yourself, right? Because some people get, it could be female or male, that get off put by a considered a intense person who's not a man, Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Oh. Right? Then we bring up the B word and all that yeah. stuff, right? Oh, yeah. yes. So. Absolutely. I've, I've had, I mean, I've struggled that with my whole life. And um, honestly, I, most of the time in most companies I've worked for, I have very strong, um, powerful, intense uh, bosses and mentors, you know, mm -hmm. and I um, am who I am because I've had them as a mentor. Uh, and I, I take that in stride. I also realize that there has to be some differentiation in how we manage and how we are, um, because people are not going to like interpret us the same exact way. But I don't think it has really, um, I have not really shied away from that. You know, I, of course there have been times where I wish that I was like a Grace Kelly or like an Audrey Hepburn type of woman that is just so, Me too. <laughs> so, so graceful, takes everything with grace and like this, like let everything flow over the back kind of But that's what we see on TV. We don't know, you, you know, you don't, you don't know. That's right. Right. We don't know behind the scenes. Which is why visibility is important and seeing, um, real life people act like real life people and teaching other people to interact with those real life people, um, is important, you know, and I think for me, you know, not that I feel like I'm a, a trailblazer, but when I, you know, I work with Jersey Shore Women in Tech and I, I meet all these young women that are trying to do the same thing and are having the same challenges. And I am at a point in my life, in my career where I can say, I felt the same thing. I went through the same thing and I kept going and stayed true to myself and it worked out. Mm. You just can't turn around and go back or give up. And you have to be really honest because you can't put it always on somebody else to just accept you or like, you know, uh, like understand you, you have to have a conversation and you also have to be self-aware enough to know that like, okay, I like to be an intense, um, somewhat aggressive, you know, type of leader and manager, but I also have to hear it when like my peers and my mentors and my managers will be like, you know what, like everything can't be this important. You can't be, mm -hmm. you know, too excited and too intense all the time because then people lose sight of it. And there's just builds a, um, a sensation of, of, um, anxiety almost of like everything being at an intense state. So you have to kind of balance it. Um, 
you know, there's uh, wartime leaders and peacetime leaders, if you've ever heard that. And yeah. some people do really well at, you know, getting everybody in line and moving us, you know, forward and getting to the six, you know, the line of success. And there's some people that are better that like maintaining this like really healthy environment. I would definitely say that I'm more on like the wartime leader side. But you could be on the wartime leader if you can do it with honey and empathy, yeah. right? Because I know plenty of people, like I treat it across the board. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't be having a cert or a lifesaver while I'm audio podcasting, but I am. Um, <laughs> there are plenty of people who, you know, more so in with on the male side that may have been classified as intense. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're an asshole. And then there's the ones who were intense, mm-hmm. but they have a touch to it that it doesn't come across that way. It's right? called charisma. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. That's a good word for it. I'll go with Absolutely. charisma. Um, so it's just because you're defined per se as intense per se, in, in a way, it's how you deliver it too. Right. I know I can get away with the F-bomb in any sense because I just know the way I deliver it in the context where somebody else will say it genuinely and it sounds like it's the worst thing in the world. Like hostile, yeah. Yeah. So I think that... But I, I also think that your perspective is also really important. The idea that you do live in this moment and you right. know that this moment is all that we have. Yeah. So being able to lead in, with passion in this moment is probably what allows you to not, you know, just stay complacent. Like, it's really important. So I think that's great. Do you feel like, I'm, I'm curious to know, I mean, Lorenzo's kind of brought it up or alluded to it, but do you feel like your intensity has overall helped you or hurt you Absolutely. over time? As a woman, it's very oh. easy to be invisible. Totally. All the time. I mean, they're talking, there's a book about it now, and like the data says, you know, like women, it's very easy to be invisible. We're supporters, mm-hmm. we're caregivers, mm-hmm. um, we play the same roles in, in offices usually. Um, we're good at it for a long time. You know, even if I've had CEOs tell me that, you know, one day I should work towards my own company and be a CEO, I'd be like, no, I, I really like being second in command. And I really, in my like, it, like compass feel that way internally but is that because of like society and the internal dialogue that I've had my whole life and that everyone has with society because I think a lot of women feel that way like this isn't my path or this isn't like what I'm good at and this is not what's for me and not mm-hmm. all women obviously not all women you know even want to be in business or you know there's all types of women but like for me I seem to be going down this path of somewhat re- resistantly of, of thinking like oh I'm not gonna be this you know powerful, impactful leader in business. And here I am and people keep supporting me and and only now am I starting to see it. So I feel like being intense and being that passionate has helped people say she's got the right pieces if she's mentored and can help see it herself. Um, And I think it took a lot of people and a lot of um, other types of people, you know, like men that have that confidence or have that risk-taking genetic you know, thing that makes them go over a cliff without overanalyzing a situation for me to be like, oh, I need those components in order to keep moving forward with like the makeup that I have. Mm-hmm. You, you had a story that you told me on the other podcast. Was it um, someone early on in your career you were working for? I can't remember the exact detail. Do you know what story I'm talking about? The one where he almost fired me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because you were, you were his uh, I was his executive right? assistant. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just um, trying to like walk on eggshells and stay out of the way and just like do what he needed and let him make all the decisions and let him drive and not like overstep, you know? But that, to be fair, you were hired for that type of position, right? I was it wasn't hired like to a be gender a, type thing. Right, right. Like, so, but okay. my, it was my misunderstanding of what he needed, you know, because at the end of the day, what he needed was a strong person 
to help be like his his wingman, you know, essentially. And like I didn't see myself like that, um, which was a huge issue that I did not realize at the time, you know, that bled into so many things. But once we we fixed that and he set me straight and said, I need you and I hired you over everyone else that wanted this job because I need someone to keep me online in line, someone to help prioritize things, to help me execute CEO level things and look out for the company and see all the things that I don't have time to see or that I might miss because I'm leading the company. Mm. And like understanding that that he saw me that way and that I could fulfill all those things and that that's the potential he saw in me, you know, it helped me realize that I can do all those things. And then once I did all those things and plus some, you know, I got promoted instead of firing me, uh, he promoted me to, you know, management, you know, it was about a meeting, right? That I guess, yeah, he missed a meeting and I had let him know that the meeting was happening, but then he was also in another meeting. So I wasn't going to do the woman thing and nag him and interrupt him and be like that meeting again. But then after that, um, you know, I realized that it's my job to like say, this meeting's really important. I need you to, to take this meeting now and I will show these people out or, you know, whatever and, and continue to keep him on his schedule and manage what was going on and kind of um, keep things moving so that everything was smooth. You know, my job was to remove friction from his life, um, but also in order to do that, you have to give a little friction, mm-hmm. which is my entire, like, management tactic. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be passive and just let things go if people aren't doing what they need to do or aren't acting the way they need to act. It's important that you step in, cause friction to make things better, um, but it's a balancing act because if you cause too much friction, there's that, you know, intensity I talked about where you're now in a place where everything is too tense and you have to find a balance there. You know what? I don't think just from our brief meetings right well one thing i don't think it was when you said it's a woman thing going to nag if i was in that position at that age yeah i don't think it could be more based on age as much as anything you may have thought of it even more so as a female but i might have done the same thing because he's in a meeting yeah and you got another meeting so it could just be inexperience or not knowing the person or what you think you could do but Am I getting in trouble? Yeah, the girls are looking at each other. (laughs) I'm glad about how passionate you are about this. And I love that actually you see it as such a neutral zone. I think that that's actually progress. That's what I would do. I'm trying to take a little bit of the... I'm trying to help with a little bit of the female guilt because, you know... Everybody could have done that problem. I understand it. There's another layer to it, of course. There is. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the that's progress, though, by the way. The fact that you see it that way is a good thing. I am so, caveman. Nice, nice work. <laughs> nice work. Thank um, you. I think about that uh, pivotal moment in your career where you had, you know, your, your boss tell you, hey, I need you to speak up. I need you to be more assertive. And how that has shifted you in your career path mm-hmm. and probably your internal dialogue and your confidence level. So you've come a long way from there. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the steps that have happened and also how maybe you're instilling that same confidence in the people that you're managing and mentoring. I am super transparent with everyone I mentor and manage um, because th- there's just no way to not make the same mistakes at some point. And the fastest way that you can move up the chain is to learn from other people's mistakes so you don't have to make each single one. Um, I think an important thing going back to, you know, the the different layers of women, like saying I'm sorry after everything. So not only would I go into that meeting and interrupt it because I'm doing my job and supporting a CEO to keep him on task, I would say I'm sorry every single time. And and I see that with so many young women. Mm -hmm. And I only stopped doing that maybe a couple of years ago. And I still have the need to, when I do anything, enter a room, like walk by somebody too closely, I always say I'm sorry. Um, And, you know, that's not, not that you shouldn't be polite. 
But, um, you know, being overly like apologetic or overly gracious and, and being the person that's like always um, seeming like you're uh, like secondary uh, is, is something that I think women need to work on first and foremost to then see themselves in the positions that they're in and then, you know, absolutely go for it. But, you know, then you have the whole like millennial argument where people start to feel entitled and think that they're just sure. owed everything, which I also think is untrue. You can't just say I haven't had all these things or women haven't had these things or young people haven't had these things. So I deserve them because that is not true. Absolutely. You always have to work for, for it. And I think that there is kind of a balance between the two. And I see where that pendulum has maybe swung a yeah. little bit too far. But I think that there's something really important, particularly around the I'm sorry comment. Um, I, I have done that as well. And I think many women in our age range and, and above have do that as, as well. And something that's really important is I, I try really hard to stop because it's not just for me and my confidence, it's for future generations. Right. And to me, every time you catch yourself saying that or maybe taking that more docile or passive approach to counter-correct that, not for you, but for the people that are standing in line behind you, that's why you do it. Yeah, and that's what motivates me and everything Absolutely. that I do. Even when, like, negotiating salaries and yes. stuff, I might be like, well, I'm not really worth that. It's like, well, if I don't do that, then if I think that at the level that I'm at, what are all the other women behind me going to think when I'm mentoring them to do the same things and take the same steps to, Absolutely. you know, work for their value, make a case for what they're, what they're worth, and then actually ask for it. You can't, you can't be hypocrite. So I try every day to like live up to what I'm preaching and, and saying to other people so that they can get as fast as they can, you know, up into that level. Um, Taylor Swift just did a great piece on, um, sexism. And she says early on in my career, I didn't see any of it, which I didn't either. You know, I loved, mm -hmm. you know, working, um, you know, with the guys and, you know, even I worked in, you know, male dominated industries and I never felt like discriminated against or like had any kind of handicap. Um, but it's when you get closer to the top that you realize that you're more alone and that things are harder and that, um, there's like uh, harder, uh, like paths, upward you know right. there's tons of room at the top and there's tons of room past where I'm at but like how to keep pushing forward it gets harder and harder and mostly I have to lean on um you know uh charismatic and um empathetic men who see something at me and and aren't threatened by it and like are not um going to say like well it's it was nice to mentor her while she was coming up the ranks right. but now she's at this level like I'm going to continue to support her success well and I think that's I think that's one of the problems we still have in today's world is that there there are you get to a certain level and it is still largely a men's club oh definitely and <laughs> uh and there it, there's still that judgment mm -hmm. that occurs mostly but I, I mean i do think it's changing i mean we look at we have powerful women in uh different industries sarah sandberg is the first one that comes to mind um but but it's but it's interesting because the the narrative of those women is a lot different than the narrative of a of a man in the same position. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need. I think that's that's also also something that we culturally need to change. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's I I think it's less so. I don't know. I, I guess I'll pose the question. Do you think it's? Do you think that that cultural mentality exists more so or less so um in different areas of the country like like i i would i would think on the east coast you see it less or on the west coast you see it less there's a lot a lot more kind of of that thing there's a lot less of that thinking but I, yeah i think we both we're both shaking our heads yeah, I, I, we think we disagree i was shaking mm -hmm. my head too 
<laughs> I don't think that's true. I think you're going to find the same systematic problems um, everywhere. And I, I think it's it's easy to fix some of the problems. Like, the, again, the masses are, you know, mid-entry to, like, mid, maybe, you know, junior management. But then when you get up to the senior ranks, we're talking the power players, Fortune 500. Yep. You know, the last Fortune 500 company just added one woman to their board. So this is the first time in history that there isn't a Fortune 500 company that doesn't have at least one woman on the board. And that is our minimum that's our bar is yeah. to have one woman in a boardroom this big like and that's we're patting ourselves on the back for that and saying that there's an equal voice and i guarantee that one woman in that boardroom of men is struggling to be heard mm-hmm. yeah we should be doing better as I mean, the man as a man i'm wondering the if, man uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, Mariana. sorry Mariana, as a man i'm wondering like this situation with that company with the one female on the board right I'm just taking my what my thought process would be. Regardless of the board and who was on there, when you're in the minority, whether on any level, and you have an equal foot at the table there, literally, you tend to get heard more initially because everybody wants to assume equality. But your the problem is is the one misstep is way more of a problem than if someone else at that table made a misstep, meaning that if they did something wrong or said something wrong, whatever it may be, they're scrutinized far more. Whoever it could, oh, be, yeah. could be anybody, it could be an African American male, it could be any right minority level. So while everybody is kind of looking at you at that first board meeting, I imagine right, and she's looked at there, but her first misstep is scrutinized ten times more than one of the other eleven people that's on there. So once you get to the table, then it's a whole different level of pressure because. You're the new one, and on top of it, you're the first female or the first mm-hmm. whatever. So it almost feels like it's unfair that it should be. I, I don't know. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to see it as a point. Well, don't shake your head. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm don't, not saying no. Oh, okay. I'm like, I, I, don't woman's play. No, 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 no. I'm not. <laughs> that's a Whoa. new one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a new. It's, it's no, a, I was, I was shaking my head because I, I understand what you're I'm saying. I'm trying to trying put myself to in that person's position because yes, I finally got there, and you think you're at the finish line. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the bar, but really, you just started the race. And what you are describing, I think, is what women deal with at every point in their career. Is uh, particularly if you are, and which we are, not necessarily one of many right. in various different industries. Exactly. So it's uh, the idea of being scrutinized extra, mm-hmm. you know, because you're the only one. I'm sure you've dealt and with that in your career. There's no one to back you up. You know, yeah. if, if someone does share your perspective, which the people that are most likely to share your perspective are not present in the room. It's like everyone knows that influence is about how you can change minds. And even if you're the most influential person in the room, um, sometimes if everyone else has a different background, that's going to be different. And that's why it's important to have several women in the room because just the way it's important to have several men in the room and a diverse culture because like women don't all have the same opinion and all the same perspective and the same background. And that's why you need a few of them. Um, and men are the same way. Um, the way I think about it is like, you know, I work in, in product and in order to build a good product, we need, um, you know, a good developer that understands the tech. We need a good designer that can build and understand the user experience. You need a product manager that can understand how to piece all the, the players together. Mm-hmm. And you got to have, you know, executives to understand things from a high level. And then you need external people like sales and marketing who are actually talking to users 
uh, and understand the use case. And if you don't have every single one of those perspectives and operations too, who are going to help execute and use the product, if you don't have every single one of those opinions involved in everything that you do, you're going to miss something. And that's what a lot of these companies are doing is they're missing something. And they're trying to fix that, but adding one person uh, against you know a boardroom of X amount of people is not necessarily going to balance the, the table. Mm-hmm. I think there's also, um, when we think about, again, I'm loving that this is all about progress. It's making me very excited because this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. But the idea of progress, we're getting there. The idea that we, of how we talk about it is something that we need to be really thoughtful about. So for instance, you know, women are making it into leadership roles and we're talking about it and publicizing it. It's in the news and that's awesome. But we should also be clear about how much more we have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen this to be the case. I have a, a lot of old colleagues that have done quite well in the marketing advertising space who have been promoted and it's publicized and it's so exciting. And then very small at the bottom, there's the discussion about their bosses all being male. Still. Right. So, you know, yes, we're getting there and it's awesome. We still have a lot of pushing to do. Yeah. And we just need to be clear about that. And I think people are tired of hearing about it. So finding a way through that yeah. is like a tough thing too, because you know, the, the vehicles that we've been using so far are a little, you know, like, you know, uh, saturated in the news cycles and people are tired of hearing about them. So how do you continue to have impact and, and make change that's positive that everyone feels like they can get behind, um, is it definitely a tricky thing to have endurance here? You don't want it to get immune to it where you just, Oh, it's another, and I've in the boys clubs, mm-hmm. of course I've heard that, but you know, I'll be completely candid. Like, I've heard that from white people say that about the black movement as well. Of course. That's like, all right, same like, thing. Like, you got this. Like, enough's enough. Like, all right, good, great. Like, I've heard that mm. plenty of time. Now, when you're, when you're the minority at that board meeting, per se, and I hear this stuff, I bring it out to the people and tell you what other people are thinking. But, like, it's also, you know, part of it is, is just as a white male, you kind of... I didn't walk into this world the way and made it this way. So it's also a learning curve on the other side as well. Of course. And I think if I, maybe I'm wrong, maybe we don't, but like sometimes we might just screw up as the white dude. Like it just happens. Like it's part of the learning. We all screw up. I absolutely. Right. But I make white dude mistakes. You know, like we all make mistakes. It's just a matter of white girl problems. You just, you got to be self-aware and understand your missteps and be able to fix them and commit to, to being that person that will be the, on the right side of things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of all this, uh, Vidya. Yeah. What's that? What, what is my com- What is the company I work yeah, at? Yes, your uh, company. Yeah. yeah, so it's not my company, well, but I have the privilege of maybe working someday. there. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you see, you have the ambition. Well, <laughs> I, I would, you know, someday I would like to do something with media and and tech. But um, Vidya started uh, out of uh, a great idea. Um, Roy Lamont is the CEO, and he used to work uh, in making music videos for you know great musicians. And, you know, from there he built a marketing company, which is also in Bellworks called Trendsetter uh, Media and Marketing. And um, they are hugely successful and hugely impactful in the industry. And from building that company, he realized that um, everything was about to turn digital and that there was going to be a need um, for distribution um, in that space. And in order to do that, there was going to require a lot of tech and a lot of operations and um, that would also um, be an instigator for artists to be able to do more independently. You know, us as regular people can have an audience like a celebrity, you know, if, if we wanted to, if we wanted to curate an audience enough, um, we're on the same playing field as people. We have the same reach and we can put out our message. Um, so musicians are the same way. And, um, Roy kind of saw that opportunity and, um, concurrently with his marketing company started building a tech company. And, you know, we've grown, uh, I guess we're about five years old 
past three years, we've been on the Inc. 5000 list, fastest growing company, entrepreneur, uh, most entrepreneurial company, um, Deloitte 500. So it's just been like an amazing roller coaster of a ride of being part of that. Um, but yeah, so like when I first came in, it was, um, you know, I've done this a few times in, in entering startups where they've already been through some things and t trials and tests to see it work. So people have come in and out. And then what stick um, are the people that like really resonate and, and, and trust the CEO. And you have like a good group of guys usually when I come in. Um, not to say that they haven't hired women before. They just, you know, didn't stick. Uh, and, you know, I came in and realized that there was, you know, great, great potential here and a lot of great minds. And all that it really needed was, you know, organization, some process and like filling the gaps. Um, so when they hired me, they also hired our head of finance, uh, which is a woman, um, which is, you know, she was interviewing right next to me. I was like, hire her and then hire me. And, um, you know, the fact that she has like the opposite kind of brain that I do, which is like, you know, mathematical and finance and all that stuff. And I have this, you know, weird mix of like creative and personnel skills and um, organization is what kind of like helped us infiltrate. And from there, the, you know, we brought in people that resonate with us and then they resonate with the rest of the team. And now we all kind of mesh together to make this like new culture that attracts more and more talent and, and diversity and stuff like that. What's the position you have at NVIDIA? Uh, I'm currently the VP of product management. Okay. Um, and as far as the artists, I've seen a few artists here. Yeah, we're the entry point for people that are like already doing making great music and for them to get more visibility and use our platform and take off. Um, and then whatever, you know, th their decision and their strategy is, um, whether they want to stay independent and, and work with us or, you know, get signed by a label, um, we get to be that exciting entry point for artists to grow their careers. And, um, you know, it's like being like the A&R for like major labels because they can just find them on our platform. And we can also... Um, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> this is live unedited. Mariano Sneezen is leaving the room. Um, and we can also power like an independent artist career, you know, so they can stay with us. They can make all, you know, own their own um, content and make all their decisions and power their own career because we provide them with the technology and the support that they need. That's fantastic. Yeah. What type of technology are you providing? Um, so the platform allows you to like manage your entire catalog, all your audio and video. It allows you to distribute to all of the audio and video outlets, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Apple, Spotify, and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, destinations that are out there. Um, it allows you to get all the money that comes back from all of those platforms and accounts right to you. Uh, we just had to um, launch a new feature that allows you to account even a step further and like you can pay out royalties to all your collaborators. Um, and then also we support you on the, the marketing side and, and cash advances for you to create more content. So we are like in every one-stop shop for everything you need to be your own boss. So it's very entrepreneurial. It's it's very like modern way of doing it. You know, you see a lot of artists that, um, you know, go that way. Now I know Chance the Rapper who is not, not ours, but he does a lot of um, lobbying for why you need to um, stay independent and own your own, mm -hmm. your master's Taylor Swift's conversation. She made the mistake of selling all her masters right. when she was younger. She didn't know any better. Um, too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's the conversation we're having and like video is the answer. Wow. So um, on the other podcast, I asked you if there was any progress or thought about bringing on town, like a podcast and stuff like that. Has there been any progress in that? There's been tons of conversation on it. I mean, obviously there's, there's so much content out there that, you know, music is, is a huge industry and then tied to music is web content. Obviously the most influential people on Instagram are musicians. Um, so, you know, just tackling and optimizing music and web content the best that we can, um, podcasting and, and other forms of media are absolutely on the table for like building out, 
you know, the same way. I think I said in the last podcast, Amazon only sold books and now, you know, continues to branch out to sell more and more and more. And, you know, we will continue to expand in every way that makes sense. Do you, okay. do you guys have a specific formula that you follow or do you treat each project as an independent uh, creative opportunity. I think that's our differentiator. I think um, we saw Kevin McHale, so he was an actor on Glee. Um, he is um, he put out a new album, and uh, he actually did some press. I think I forget what outlet might have been Billboard, but uh, he was talking about how um, he like was kind of shell shocked when he sat down with Vidya's marketing team and and was like, you know, they were like, "What do you want to do? What are your goals? Like, what do you?" Like, what are your ideas? And he was like, they were asking what my ideas were, you know, and, and those ideas come from the artist. Yes. And then we help, um, you know, help execute them in the best way possible. And that is something that's really empowering for these people. So um, it's, it's depending on who the person is and like what their vision is. And obviously we help support that and, you know, give them all the facts that they need, especially if they're new. You know, we're, we have a huge like um, hip hop and Latin um like uh, artist base. So, you know, these are people that are super talented, but might not have the same, um, you know, visibility or uh, resources that some of these bigger artists or pop artists might have. So they might, you know, need some more guidance on things. And like, we have this, the, the team members that can do that for them. Wow. How big is video now? Uh, we're about 50 people on both coasts. Uh, we got a, we got an LA office. Okay. And um, we definitely make more work with less. It's it's very exciting to see that every you know square foot of our offices is filled with really um, diverse, brilliant minds that can do a variety of things. You know, I, I get to work in a position where I need to get um, buy-in and influence um, all of the people that are in the system because we all own a different corner of this huge industry. So you know, the decision to do anything doesn't really lie with one person. It requires group buy-in and that's not easy to do, you know, and um, it's both exciting and challenging to be able to work with all these people and get everybody on the same page so that we can, you know, execute something that really um, makes sense. What's your, what's your day-to-day -day like? Is it? <laughs> it's crazy. It, well, I see you having random conversations at random spots in the world. Oh yeah. Yes, right. So we're in Bell Works here in Homedale. Um, is it, do you deal with the artists at all? Is it, in the beginning, what's roughly a day-to-day? -day, so, chaos. yeah, my role is, is mostly plugging into everyone else. Um, we start the day with stand-ups, uh, so every single team um, on the product side, so that includes data engineers, product developers, um, designers, product managers. Um, we all do a stand-up of, like, what we did yesterday, uh, what we plan on doing today, any blockers we have, um, any questions that need to be answered, so that nobody has any friction in their day and they're, they're set up for success. So we do that first thing in the morning, every single day with all the teams. Um, and then I think a big part of my job is doing one-on-ones and talking to people individually because I think, like I said, we really maximize our, our square footage of people. So I need everybody right. to have what they need individually to do their individual job well with the team. Okay. Um, so it's a lot of finding out um, updates and you know getting insider information on like what I can do to support uh, people better, um, what I can get unblocked, um, advice I can give, uh, looking at designs over and over again and circulating these designs to other people for other perspectives, um, testing things that just got built by the developers and making sure that they work and that it's clear to a user how they would work, okay. then working with uh, creative relations and marketing to figure out um, getting real life 
buy-in from this real life musicians. Right? Yeah, this yeah. This is every right? single yeah, yeah it's every said, single day. You said you make sure there's no friction. So then once you make sure there's no friction, do you go back in and add your friction? Oh, absolutely. I one hundred percent have to go back in and so add like, friction. Okay, I need shit over there to happen. Let's she's, go. She's yeah. a cook. She's you know, yeah. I, I got you. As much as I, I alleviate friction, I absolutely cause it. Nobody would ever say that I am just a like smoother. <laughs> okay. Um you had a public health are you, are you, yeah. Are you good to talk for a minute? Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Do a couple minutes. Yeah, all of a sudden, you were supposed to be on our podcast. And yeah. Next thing you know, you're in Red Bank. Right? Yeah, I um, well, I had a, it was I literally went to the doctor, um, and uh, I my leg hurt. I was supposed to get on a plane to Bali in like a week or two for my, you know, my me and my friend were gonna go away, and she was actually getting married in Bali, so there was gonna be this huge like thing that you could not repeat. Like I was not gonna miss yeah. this Bali trip, and my leg had been bothering me for a while, so I finally got to a doctor, and they did a um like a Doppler scan on my leg. And he's like, you have a giant blood clot throughout your entire oh leg. Oh um, yeah, he's like, you, and it usually doesn't happen that way. Like he's like, you waited too long, like to, to see me. Like this is, a, you know, a huge problem. Um, and it took me a while to go through a few doctors. You know, as a young person, you don't like to think, oh, I have a blood clot. Yeah. You can um, also heal yourself was it easier when you're young. When you're young, like, right? Like your body heals itself. Right. Easier. So typically, you go to the doctor, you get a pain in your calf. You go to the doctor, they give you some blood thinners, and your body heals it, and that's it. But that didn't happen for me. Like I had a lot of um, challenges like leading up to that, and it led to, you know, delayed treatment and it got to a point where it was really, really bad. And he gave it me like probably like seven to 10 options on what we could do here. And they were all terrible. Like he couldn't recommend any of them. He just said, we have to do one. Mm -hmm. And I was with my mom and she's hysterical. I'm hysterical. Um, and, uh, I was like, all right, we're going to think about it. He goes, I don't think you understand. He's like, we're going to the hospital right now. And I was like, but I can't. Like, I'm going to Bali. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm going to Bali and I have a podcast tomorrow. That's so oh, millennial wow. right there. Yeah. That's as millennial as it gets. It does. And then yeah. they, let me, they let me, they didn't know how long I was going to be in the hospital because they were going to do all these intense surgeries on me. And um, they let me go back to my place and pack a bag. And I sat down, opened up my computer, emailed Lorenzo. I was like, I'm really sorry about this, but uh, oh, I'm going to the gosh. hospital right now. And then my friend and my mom are calling me like, where are you? I was like, I'm answering some quick emails before I get to the oh hospital. She's like, oh get God. to the hospital yeah, right I'm now. Like, really? You God, can't be done no, by tomorrow? No. Can't you come to yeah. the podcast? Just, you know how much work we do? And, was this just a dull pain that you ignored for a while or was it like a really I, painful? It was pa very painful. I mean, in the beginning, it wasn't that painful. It was just like a weird pain. I'm a runner. So I was like, maybe this is like a new injury that like I've just never had before, even though I'm a marathon runner and like know what an injury feels like. It felt different. Your brain like knows something is wrong. Yeah. Um, so I was like scared for a while, but like it wasn't bad enough to stop coming to work or anything but near the end when I ended up when I finally got to the right doctor um by the end of the workday I was like dragging my leg behind me unsure if I was going to make it to the car much less make it home so like it definitely got yeah, to a I point where it. like something was wrong Maggie's a runner and she squirmed a little when you said, I, that. When you said that, that I think that you know as runners you said it best we kind of just deal with pain and yeah it's like oh no that's just I, I must have right. trained whatever it's fine but it's actually really great that you listen to that instinct and you're like, this is different. Yeah. And that's why I tell people because I've obviously freaked a lot of people out by saying like, be aware of blood blood clots because they're like more common than breast cancer, car accidents, and HIV combined, which is like an insane metric. And they also have not figured out why I, have, why I got this. They think, just gonna ask they, they they think it could be a fluke. I mean, there are definitely things like, you know, when you go on birth control as a young girl to, to manage your hormones or anything, they don't, they, you know, they say like a disclaimer that maybe you get right, blood clots, but nobody told me and I didn't know, you know, right. like, and then, you know, being on airplanes, I love window seats and I never get up on airplanes. I'm like always dehydrated. So I don't need to get up. I just sit in my, my chair and I look out the Even window water. and, 
No, no water. I did. I asked for no water. Don't tell people that. I'm supposed to be hydrating. <laughs> no, I don't give a uh, shit. No, you are supposed to be hydrating. I know. Yes. Yeah, so, that, again, not drinking enough water, that's a mistake I made sitting at a desk all day. I don't have a standing desk. Like, right. those are all mistakes that, like, we know, but, like, we don't register as deadly. And, um, you know, when it was funny, not funny, but, like, when we got to the hospital, I'd never been you know, in a hospital for me, I had no idea what was going on. And like all of this chaos happened in like the most obviously ridiculous way possible. But they eventually sent me for a CAT scan just to make sure like you're, um, you know, good enough for surgery. And that's when they discovered the blood clots had exploded in my lungs and into my heart. Oh so my they, God. they couldn't do the surgery because they didn't think I'd survive it. So they ended up putting um, a filter inside of my like blood vein, like inside my vein system so that it would stop any more clots from going to my lungs, and my heart. And then after, um, <coughs> it looked like it was healing enough. They pulled it, they pulled it out this was six through months my, ago? through my jugular. Uh, yeah. this came out in June. In so June. I still have a scar on my neck from where they pulled the filter out. Um, but then I got a recent scan again and they're like, no, you still have a giant blood clot in your leg. It takes a long time to heal and it might not ever dissolve completely. Um, it's just, I realized more and more that, you know, Medical professionals are, are business people. They're sure. doing the best they can. They're they making are. decisions the same way I'm making decisions, yeah. as informed as you can be. Mm -hmm. But we don't have all the answers, and they don't have all the answers. And, um, you know, I really trust all of the four doctors I have right now, but they're all specialized. When something goes wrong, like I haven't, I've had been having breathing problems recently, which is weird because I was doing really well for a while. And uh, it's like, which doctor do I call? Like, what, what do I it's do? Very confusing. So, yeah. All right. Now, okay. You still <laughs> have Mariana, you need a minute. Yeah. I, I may need a minute to process this. Um, so you still have a blood clot. Yeah. For, uh, first of all, the big question in my mind is, did you end up going to Bali or no? No, I it did not. I did not go to Bali, which they said if I had gotten on the plane to Bali, I would 100% be dead right now. So as they were like rolling me to the operation room wow. to put the filter in, they were like, this is your adventure. This is Bali. And the, the doctor's daughter had been in Bali. So she was showing me pictures of his daughter oh, in Bali God. to try and make me feel better. Like, so yeah, funny. Riverview was a really, really great experience. I've obviously been there quite a bit recently. Yeah. And, and honestly, every single time the people are really great. So... What about, um, that's and, the upside of that. <laughs> I have one other question. So you're a runner. Does do you have to? Did you have to modify your training? Can you train at all? So or? yeah, it's been off and on. So like when I first, um, they didn't tell me that it went to my heart right away. Um, that came after when I went to go do my follow ups. I'm like, I'm feeling a lot better. Can I go running? And the doctor's like, one of the doctors who I well. was, like, was like the lung doctor. He's like, it didn't just go to your lungs. It went to your heart. And I was like, what? And my mom's like, yeah, we didn't want to. Tell, no one wanted to tell you that you were upset enough. I was like, that's. Great. Oh, that was that's such an Italian mom. Thing yeah, to do. exactly. <laughs> well, because um, she has a, uh, an O as her last name, you assume she's Italian. I'm very Italian. That's what you said in the beginning of the podcast. Weren't you paying attention? No, it was not clearly. <laughs> All I'm focused on is how much nobody cares about how much I had to reschedule my podcast around this. Imagine. But yeah, he, I asked him, I'm like, so I, I can't go running? And he's like, no. <laughs> so, um, and then I started to feel better. Then it, it, the like mobile clot that was like floating, which is the dangerous part of it because it is most yeah. likely if it's floating, it's going to go into your lungs at some point. Mm -hmm. um, that, that one part of the clot was like gone. So they're like, okay, it's safe to take the filter out now. And um, then I was like, now can I run? And he's like, yeah, like you can, you, your body will let you know. So I went running a handful of times and um, you know, I was really out of shape as a kid in high school, even though I played sports, I was like always kind of overweight and always I'm asthmatic, which also adds another layer you to this. You are insanity. You are the most thick headed people in the world. You just run and, and it's painful and you just keep running. Right. But yeah. you think, oh, you all are. Everyone I know. Yeah. But I, I did not feel that bliss this time for the first time mm -hmm. in a long time. I felt like I was dying. And, yeah. you know, they keep telling you, like, if you have symptoms of a pulmonary embolism, like you have to go to the hospital right away. Right. But the symptoms of a pulmonary embolism are a shortness of breath, fast paced yeah. heart. Yeah. And like, 
I'm like, first of all, I could be Everything having, that you get from I could running. just be anxious, right. you know, one, right. which is what I keep telling myself. That's or like, whole day. I just like, went, whatever. <laughs> I went running and I'm out of shape. Like, am I having, like, am I out of shape or am I dying? You know? Yeah. So it was tough. I ran like a mile and a half a few times and was like, okay, I will c- commit to this. I'm going to make a comeback. And then, um, you know, they told me that I actually, they were talking about maybe taking me off blood thinners and, uh, they redid the scan and they were like, it's a persistent blood clot. It's still throughout your entire leg. And like, I don't know if that got into my head or what, but I've been, um, really kind of sick since then I have had a lot of breathing issues so they sent me for like a bunch of tests and stuff which all like are looking pretty okay the doctors are they can hear that I'm not breathing well but they can't see what the problem is so um, it's just like an ongoing process but um, I'm actually like talking to the doctors about maybe starting running again you know now that my test came back pretty good and and you know maybe honestly that's what helped my asthma in the first place I became a runner because I couldn't make it up a flight of stairs and now I can't make it up a flight of stairs so part of me wonders is it just because I've been I haven't trained in six months that I'm now reduced back to the person that I forgot that I was Mm -hmm. and what do I have to do to get back there maybe you can do something lower impact like (laughs) riding a bike I hate all that stuff this is the mall walk in here I know you know what this is a great place to mall walk mall walk not if you don't have the right shoes no I'm never wearing the right shoes I should be wearing like compression socks all the time and like, I was like, drinking water, drinking water. Okay. I will yeah. drink lots Jenna, of water when Jenna, I get back to my desk. You, you, I'm letting you know, you this know Lorenzo's going to come to you. I know. No, water. I'm yeah. telling you, if you see me anywhere, you better run the other way. I'm going to carry my water bottle water. around. No, I, I hydrate constantly. Plus I drink coffee, which dehydrates. Yeah. So offset it. But yeah, I mean, this is a simple process. I know. Drinking water. I know. I'm a walking, like, poser child for why you should drink water. Back, I used to drink a giant coffee a day, and, yeah. like, I don't even know if I would drink water some days. So, like, that's how bad I yeah. was. My wife you know? is the same way. She will, she, that might, the amount that Mary has, like, a drop, that's how much she might drink all day. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. And to really? me, I drink that every two hours. Yeah, you're making me thirsty right and now. I yeah. used to drink. I used okay, to Mary, you don't have to drink the water in front of us now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's taking a big glug of a sip, everyone. <laughs> well, you better. I paid for it. <laughs> um, oh well, you're feeling I mentally feel, how? Uh, I'm definitely like... Um, you know, I'm one that's always like in the moment and trying to like do things and like what you're doing is the most important. And now I feel a little, everyone's like, is your perspective on life changed? And I think the biggest thing that changed is, um, you know, you have to include more than just this moment. Like, I'm like, I'm going to go running and I'm going to like do this the best I can. But then now part of me is like, well, if you push too hard, you actually could die because you came real close to doing that. Um, you know, same thing. Like, I love my job. I love my career. I love my team. Like, I would, like, work all day and all night if I could, and I absolutely <laughs> used to do that. Um, but part of me is now, like, when the doctor's like, oh, can you come in this day at this time? And I'm like, no, I have too many meetings. Like, they're like, okay, you, you need to come in this week and get this test by the end of the week. I'm like, okay, I will make it work. But, like, old me would be like, I'll do it next month and next month and next month. But, like, now I know there's some things that have to be squeezed in. It's not like I'm going to, like, like I can do work whenever, you know, I'll just go to the doctor here and like, I'm like my lunch break and come back. Like it's not less effect. Maybe it feels less efficient sometimes, but like, it's better than like mentally being like, Oh, I've skipped that test. Like, am I okay? Am I not okay? I think that's actually a cultural thing here in the United States where people we've been trained to not take care of ourselves. Right. Um, and you know, I, I mean, even when I, I had, uh, gallbladder, emergency gallbladder surgery a few years ago. and Seven, I came to visit you. Yes, <laughs> you came to visit. Lorenzo here came to visit me. Yes. Um, and uh, I remember I remember when the pain first started occurring, I kept saying to myself, this can't be anything right. more than, it, this is nothing. I'm right. going to get through it and whatever. And even when I went to the hospital, I was on all kinds of pain, pain meds and I felt fine. 
but I was supposed to be going on a trip on, on right. Friday. Right. And I'm like, that way. so can I, I, I know it's Tuesday, but can I go on my trip on Friday? They're like, no, you have to have surgery and you're not going to be able to go anywhere. So, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's reflective of the culture. And I think it's going back to our conversation about women earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a double edged, it's, it's a, it's even more so for women. Like there's, there's this idea that you have to be able to prove yourself. You don't want as much. You don't want to, you have to prove yep. yourself. You can't show you're weak, you, you know? And so like, there's this idea that I can't ever show weakness because that will be the thing that everybody focuses on. Yeah. It's not going to be all this work that I've been doing up in, up in the past, getting to myself to the point that I am sick. It's that one moment that I should weakness that. Yeah. And I actually, I have like a, a huge turning point in this was, uh, you know, I definitely thank my CEO Roy for this, but after I had the first surgery, like obviously I went and it was a whole big emergency, you know, I went home and I just started like Googling, you know, blood clot and pulmonary uh, embolism stuff to like figure out like how long it was going to take me to heal, what the likelihood of me dying was and like what questions to ask the doctor. Anxiety, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, I, I like never miss work, but obviously like coming out of the hospital, like it's obviously expected that I was out for, you know, a few days. I got surgery on like a Thursday and stayed over till Friday. So I obviously wasn't in work those days. And then, um, Monday and Tuesday, I like worked from home, you know, and then I ended up like putting in a request to like not come into work for like the rest of the week, which is again, totally normal, except for the fact that like um like I he knows who I am and you know he called me and he was just like how are you feeling and I was like I'm actually feeling okay but I'm terrified to get in a car because I'm on blood thinners and I don't want to drive anywhere I feel like super weak I like don't feel like myself like I feel like I like might have lost it forever like I have no idea how to come back and he's just like "I, I think you should just either just get out of the house which I know you won't do or just come back to work and like don't worry about it just like come here to be with us kind of thing and and get back into like a you know, a routine. And I was like, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you went like opposite Jenna, right? Right. At that point. Yeah. And I know it's funny coming from him because we both have the same mentality, you know, yeah. of like, you know, we You're just, scared. we love you, working. And, um, yeah. yeah fear. And he was just like, get off the internet. And, um, I came into work that Friday and I was like a ghost of a person. And like, I, like thought I was firing in all cylinders, but I was absolutely like a zombie. And you know, everyone on the team like did really nice by me and pretended like I had it together and that I was like still driving a little bit, but I was, I was definitely not doing well. Um, but honestly that helped me because I, you feel like there's that moment in like depression and anxiety where you can go into a dark place and just give up on whatever you're trying to overcome absolutely. or you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and face it and deal with it and like move on with your life. And I definitely felt myself sinking there being like, what's the point? I could die at any moment. So I might as well just sit here and like play it safe. And, you know, then eventually you realize that, like, you can't, you can't do that because yeah. I could live for another, like, 60 years. Right. Like, With I medicine, can't... medicine, you might live on another 90 exactly. years, 50 years from now. So, I mean, I needed somebody that, like, knew me and that understood what I, like, was feeling internally yeah. to say, like, what you're doing does not make the most sense for you and, like, you're going into a, a bad place here um, and this is just a suggestion. And, you know, yeah. I took one more day to, like, feel bad for myself and be like, no, he's wrong and I just can't do it. And um, it was the best thing to, like, get back on the horse sooner rather than later. What an amazing boss, CEO, friend, mentor yeah. to give you that advice. Yeah, it was definitely, and I felt like a lot of people stood behind me. I, I don't feel like, you know, that tension and that pressure as a woman or anybody to like get back yeah. and do things um, was really, um, and he even said like, take as much time as you want. Like he didn't say you have to come back to work, you know, like he absolutely gave me that freedom and everyone else, you know, 
rallied behind me and said, we've got you, you know, like do what you want, do what you can, but like we, we've got it, you know, and that I think is what, when you have that belief system in you, mm -hmm. it helps you recover and it makes you want to show up for those people. And it builds like that, mm -hmm. um, that culture with the team and it builds that, uh, like personal, um, you know, motivation to like want to make a comeback and like be able to be the contributor that you were. What's your favorite food? Uh, I think probably, um, I would, I would say it's probably basic, but pizza, because okay. you can do so much with it. Yeah. You shouldn't put figs on pizza. I do like figs on pizza, but I, I mostly like, I like anything on pizza. One, one step even lower than that, the truth is I really just love bread. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. like, I hear you. Like, I could just eat bread forever. I'm absolutely obsessed and addicted to it, so I try not to keep it in the house even. Anything with <laughs> the health that you have to change nutrition-wise or anything like that much? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, I've always tried to be healthy. I think most of us are trying to be healthy, but... Um, Do you drink? Uh, <laughs> Do you drink? I um, drink socially. I drink, drink a lot less now. Um, okay. I am dating someone that also doesn't really drink that much or feel the need to drink that much, which is like a very different experience because I feel the need to overcompensate sometimes when he's like, we'll have water. And I'm like, I want a glass of wine. <laughs> I feel like, have a glass of wine. Then I'm no, like, you should have the water. He's first. like, I'm and having water. water. And I was like, well, there's no social pressure here. So like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, you can have a glass of water or have a beer, whatever you want to do. And it's, it's just a weird concept because I think, especially in America, like this, the, you know, depending on your age, definitely like in your twenties and your thirties, like drinking is like the Gosh. social activity. Growing up oh, yeah. in Italy, like nobody cares about drinking because you no, can drink whenever it was you want. 16. Yeah. There's no alcohol. Is, well, I mean, there is, but it's wine. Um, that doesn't count. <laughs> it's grapes. It's fruit. Um, fermentation pizza. Okay. Mariana, what's your favorite food? Uh, God, don't tell I me like know. some like. No, I oh, mean okay. I like I like pizza a lot. Pizza. I, I like pizza a lot. No, no, I, I don't. I like the straight on. If I'm gonna do pizza, I'm gonna do pizza. And the only thing is, it has to be vegan. But um, so the cheese I have to be Aggie. <laughs> but but oh. I also like uh, I also like very simple like salads, greens and beans, tomato salad. I love so. There's a lot of different. Gina things knows you so well. Your wife. She does. She does. She really does. She calls really him the blooming flower. And I said, he, yes, he is. Because he likes to express himself. <laughs> Listen, cauliflower pizza is not good for anybody. I love cauliflower you, pizza. You, you have a bunch of questions from the previous episodes, which we're going to have to do next time. Because which last is fine. week, Aggie and I did one. But you wanted to ask about the a certain specific because we're closing out. No, I, I... You want to hold off? No, I can hold, I can hold off. I mean, there was, a, there was a lot to unpack in that. That was a... Uh, yeah. We're <laughs> we all, went lightning round, you and I. ABCs, we had so much fun. Yes. The Hope ABCs, it was pleasant uh, to listen to. Oh, it was very pleasant to listen to. I was w doing my walk, and I was, I was listening to it. I'm like, what are these guys talking about? Everything and yes. nothing. Aggie, favorite food? <coughs> um, sushi. Yeah. That's a good one. I That's love one sushi. Yeah. Okay. Pizza. Lorenzo, what's your favorite food? Yeah. <laughs> My mother's gravy with meatballs, but pizza. Uh, episode 152, Jenna, thank you thank for doing you. two thank podcasts you. with me. Thank you, Jenna. But thank you for doing this podcast. Uh, Instagram, almost famous. Oh, nine. Oh, nine. And are you anywhere else? I'm on LinkedIn. You should find me. What happens when you do become famous? <laughs> I don't think you ever become completely famous. You want to be want to be famous to the right people. That's the only goal in life. And we'll close it nice. out on like, that. Nice. Why to close it out? Quote thing. Yes. Episode one. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. To the camp.